Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery. We're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. In this show, we dive into the physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. You can listen on your favorite app or at jodystevens.org. Genuine Life Recovery is made possible by great friends like Joshua's Heart in memory of Joshua Brent Moore, bringing hope, love, and awareness to those afflicted by addiction online at joshesheart.org and Jody Stevens Productions for commercial voiceover, narration, production, MC, and public speaking online at jodystevens.org. Hey friends, and welcome back to Genuine Life Recovery. Today we're talking, is there a cure for addiction? Something science is always trying to figure out, something people wonder, so we're gonna kind of break that down. We'll give you our opinion and just explore that a little bit from a biblical perspective, a psychological perspective, a scientific perspective. So that's the plan. I, of course, I'm Jody Steven. This is my husband, Aaron. Yes, I've come a long way to be in the studio. <laughs> yeah, from upstairs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How long right. have we both been sober? A long time between the two of us. So I'm past 21. Wow. And I think you hit 18 this I year. I did. I hit 18 this year. So. so between the two of us, we have somebody who's old enough to be president of the United States. <laughs> 39 years worth. Uh, wow. Wait, how old was the youngest president? 39? Uh, no, I, I think they've all been, I think 45 or 48. Was the oh, okay. Yeah. It was, so we have a little ways to go. We have go a little ways yet. to go to catch up. But. All right. All right. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. I did a survey on my Genuine Life Recovery page. So go there and check it out. And the the question is, did you lose it, honey? I did. I lost it completely. You lost it. I was going to have him you read it because... Um, we're asking people what the most impactful thing their faith has, you know, what thing they do in their faith has had the most impact on their sobriety. And we had a great survey in there that had, you know, results because there were five categories and what have you. Yeah. So we had, um, I asked you, is it prayer and medication? So yeah, what aspect of your faith has been most impactful in your recovery? So we had uh, prayer and meditation, community meetings and support, scripture reflections, worship music and uh, service and giving backs. I don't know if you can see it, but it looked looks like that. So if you go to Genuine Life Recovery, check it out. But it was interesting because worship and music came in at number one, which I thought was, was kind of fascinating, actually. Oh, it kind of makes sense. I mean, if you think about it, sometimes when you're worshiping God, yeah. you're listening to music and what have you, it alters your consciousness for a period of time. Ooh. What do you think we drink yeah. for? You know, why do we drink? Why do we use? We did that to get out of our head, you know, to that's true. whatever the situation. So that's a less severe example, and, you know, obviously a far less damaging example of like trying to get an escape. But that's pretty much what worship and music does for a lot of people. Right. And then tying was um, prayer and meditation, community meetings and support, and then service and giving back. Right. Scripture reflections came in last, which was interesting. While I think the scripture reflections are totally important, I think the reason people said these things is because it highlights the importance of community. So I thought that was really an interesting um, little survey there. Uh, yeah, I think in a sense, people prefer human interaction to reading a book. So right, right, yeah. So a cure for addiction—that's what we're unpacking. I think the first question is, what is addiction? 
right? So science would tell you that addiction is a brain disorder, right? Characterized by a compulsive engagement in rewarding stimuli, things like that. So, and that makes sense. And obviously we see the disease portion of it as we get further and further into uh, the addiction, right? So if you see Sadly, like someone who died from their addiction, like my brother, you can see the breakdown of the body. You can see the changes right. in the brain. So I don't think anyone would argue that addiction is a, is a disease, but you know, I feel like it's a combination of things. It's not just this scientific thing because we live in a spiritual world. But basically, when as we continue to drink and release all that dopamine and all that stuff in our brain, pretty soon we we lose control of our behavior, right? We keep using and drinking despite negative outcomes. This could be with food. This could be with gambling, right? There's, there's um, substance addictions. And then there's the process is what they call addictions, which is the food and the gambling. And so, right, so we keep doing this stuff despite the negativity in our life. And um, then we have the tolerance increases, we have the withdrawal and, and all those sorts of things. And then when, when you factor in like the genetics, is it genetic? Is it environmental? Was there, you know, trauma involved that led to this um, a neurological factor? You know, all these sorts of things. So I think that once we, we add all these things, we start to see that a cure or recovery is really just, it's dependent on each person, right? Because everybody's right. walks different. Because if you think about all those different things, but it also highlights the God factor because of all those things we just mentioned above, like that's a lot. And I feel like it's impossible to navigate all that stuff alone, right? And without the help of God. Addiction's multifaceted, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are a lot of people out there that think you can just pull the pull the chemical out of the person and what have you and solve the problem. Right. Well, you have to do both. You have to pull the chemical out of the person, and then uh, remove the compulsion to use said chemical or remove the compulsion to go and eat, you know, pounds of Costco, you know, goodies and things of that <laughs> nature. You know what I'm getting at? Yeah. And so it's, it's two things, right? Mm -hmm. So if it was as simple as getting the booze out of me and what have you, they could just give me a shot and, right. you know, I wouldn't drink anymore and what have you. But the problem is, is like, it's the whys and the wherefore. So mm -hmm. it's a combination of physical and psychological issue. And I, yeah. so that's why I'm going to, you know, present that I do not believe there's a cure for addiction. I believe that there is a treatment right. for addiction. I don't believe that there is a cure for addiction because it's multifaceted. And once it has you, you can't break it, but you can arrest it and you can get victory over it. Right. And, you know, the thing of it is, is that like, like he was just saying, it's psychological in nature too, as well as neurological in nature. So you've got these two things going on. It's almost like, like trying to find a cure for child abuse or something like that, right? Until we, until we live in a perfect world, a world that's not fallen, how are we ever going to find a cure for addiction? I mean, look, right, right now we're in the worst opiate crisis that we've ever been in, in the year of 2023. So, you know, science is saying, well, let's find a cure, let's find a cure. And like you said, there, there is a lot of treatments that can help with the neurological aspects, but again, we have to get into the, the psychological aspects. So, as we talk about the fall of man, right. the very first step of Alcoholics Anonymous says, admitted that we are powerless over alcohol, hyphen, not comma, not, it's a separate thought, that our lives have become unmanageable. 
So this unmanageability concept is something that's going to recur again in, in our talk today. And that is because unmanageability is defined as separation from God. Yeah. Those of us that are people of faith understand that separation from God is the biblical definition of sin. Mm -hmm. So basically we lost power over our addiction and it has caused us to live a life of sin. That's the translation to step one of Alcoholics Anonymous. But they wrote it that way because people who have predispositions against faith and religion and so forth mm -hmm. could be able to grasp the idea. So the way I see the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous or any other recovery program is just that it's going after the behavioral factors that trigger you to drink and use. The goal right. of the program is to go after the behavioral factors that trigger you to drink and use. And for some people, the compulsion to drink and use is so strong and what have you that they need other forms of help to help get the stuff out of them long enough until they can clear their head. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I love that uh, step one, admitted we were powerless. I like to say admitted we were powerless over sin, that our lives had become unmanageable because then it becomes where it's not just you know, it kind of takes that shame away from the addict because everybody's got something. There's always going to be some shame and stigma around addiction because of all the dumb things we do. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, but, but anyway, that's not funny, but it is funny, but it is funny. But... <laughs> I mean, my God, you know, waking up in some strange place at right. four o'clock in the morning and you can't remember, you know, anything for like the last 10 hours. I mean, that's mm -hmm. kind of, you know, it's, it, it's insane at the time, but when you look back at it later, like how in God's green earth did I survive that? Right. But um, the, I wanted to get just briefly touch on getting into the, to the root stuff, because right. when you have trauma, right, in, in your childhood or something like that, or maybe there's abuse or something that has led you towards addiction, what happens is your brain now becomes sort of wired for this trauma. So you're on heightened alert, right? You've right. seen those dudes like that are in prison. They're always like, you know, they're always looking behind their back. And so they're fearful, they're scared, they're, they gravitate towards addiction. And so where this, all the psychotherapy and stuff comes in is really all that it is just changing the brain. Like you and I have changed our brain. We don't know that we've changed our brain, but we really have. Like we probably, we don't think to drink again. That's not our first response. And if we did drink again, would we like it? Would we not? Would we become addicted? Probably. The question is, I don't know. I'm not going to try it, but I do know that my brain is different now. My response to stress, because I've been around safe people, because I've learned different coping skills, I have changed my brain. So that is one aspect of recovery is, you know, they call it, I don't know, neuroplasticity or something like that. But, but really the idea is, is we're, we're, t we're, um, Spending our time in recovery, recognizing those triggers and doing all those sorts of things so that that kind of takes away that desire to drink. So we develop those healthier, healthier coping skills. And so that's really probably the closest thing to a cure to the psychological challenges that manifest in addiction, if that makes sense. As we walk into talking about how to get victory, you know, how to recover, how to get treated for your addiction. I want to share a personal story that I think addresses why neither one of us believe that there's a cure for addiction. So recently I had a surgery. Oh yeah. And the last time we had, um, last time we did a video together, I told the story, but I'm going to tell it again. And that was very simple. I had a very painful minor surgery, but a minor surgery on an area that has a ton of nerve endings in it that just causes a lot of pain mm -hmm. disproportionate with the surgery. I mean, the surgery was nothing. I was in and out in 30 minutes. 
but I was in excruciating pain for a couple of weeks. And so they had to give me some opiates for the pain and uh, Tylenol didn't do it. You know, ibuprofen didn't do it. It could not solve the problem. I had to finally break down three days after the surgery and take one of those. I think they're called oxycodone or oxycontin or something like that. I, I can't remember exactly what it was. Oxydopsic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The I, first question I had is, are they going to give him opiates? Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Yeah. They <laughs> and get, the first thing they're like, "Hey, have some oxy." You yeah, know, it's like, "Oh no!" Thank God they only gave me 12, 12 pills though, and uh, twelve total pills. Yeah. I tell you what, I took the first one. Literally, as soon as I started feeling the effects of it and started feeling better and what have you, the first thing kicked in my head is, hey, when can I get another one of these? Yeah. 21 years into this, it's still there. But but what was the difference in how you handled it? And this is where we talk about the change. And that's what we're going to get into next, because it's like my programming came in and we'll we'll pick this story up again in a little bit as we're going through some of the concepts with you. So the first thing we're going to talk about in terms of the life after is surrender. Yeah. And the concept of surrender being um, foundational, because you see, when you take that first step and you say, hey, I'm powerless over my addiction and that my life is a mess, <laughs> that I'm full of sin, I'm living a life of sin or what have you. The second step says made a conscious decision to su surrender my will. Um, the second and third step actually talk about became second step is the concept of believing that only a higher power could restore right. me to sanity. The third step is the surrender step where it says made a decision to surrender my will to that higher power. And there's a reason why. Yeah. I mean, when I think about all the times that I tried some controlled drinking and all the times that I tried to stop, I mean, I think this is where we come into the powerlessness over the addiction or over the sin. Now, I and mean, I'm not talking about addiction, just being necessarily a moral failure, right? God recognizes the little kid. God recognizes the trauma. But I, I digress. Um, once we once we fall into that addiction, then it it starts to take over the mind, the body, and the brain. And you know, once I found the Lord, then I went on this quest to like, okay, I got to quit drinking. So I was like, okay, God, just you and me, you know, fix me. And then that didn't work. And then I threw away all the heavy metal CDs. Remember that story? God, if I throw away all my heavy metal CDs, you'll, you'll, you'll strike me sober. And then that didn't work. Gosh, and, and then I, I went on, the, and then I went on the only, I'll only drink a pint of tequila and, you know, and, and all those, they add infinitum, right? I, I tried all these different things these to manage the, the addiction. Yeah. And um, none of it worked until I reached out, got, got help from from God and others and admitted that I was powerless over this addiction. Now, that didn't make me powerless over all these other things in my life. So for me, like addiction was a replacement for what I lacked the courage to do. So I had all this fear and all this Liquid stuff. Liquid courage. Yeah. So I would drink and then I would have these grandiose thoughts about all these ways I was going to take care of these things that I was too afraid of. And that's kind of, I think, that where the, where the um, paradox of powerlessness comes in is to say, okay, I'm powerless over this addiction, right? But God give me the courage to change the things that I can. And then once I started to step forward into life with help and to do those things, then the cravings decreased a little bit. And then it came into finding meaning and purpose and doing all those sorts of things, which we'll get into in the treatment. But yeah, that that powerlessness was a huge, a huge thing, admitting powerlessness, but it was also, you know, kind of a a confusing paradox to work out, right? Because it's God grant me the serenity to accept what I can't change, 
right? Th those people, places, and things that cause me anxiety. And by obsessing over it, I'm trying to change them, right? So I right. give it to you and then the courage to change what I can, right? And then what's the difference? And then in the wisdom and knowing the difference, I think is where a lot of our healing comes from. Quite literally, the reason why powerlessness comes first and surrender comes second is powerlessness is saying, I got a problem. Mm -hmm. Surrender is saying, I need help. Okay. Right, right. And the surrender is, the, is a trust piece. And that's, that's your first, that's your first three steps of AA. That That's the foundation to getting relief from your addiction. I got a problem. I need help. Mm -hmm. Literally boiling it right down there. But the process of surrender is a daily thing that I still have to do because I'm human. I think I can handle stuff. You know, I forget that I need God. I forget that I need my higher power, right? Whoever that is to you. We forget that stuff. We try to take control and stuff like that again. But when I start taking control, that's when those thoughts that I can drink and use again start, you know, they get an opportunity to take a toehold. Mm -hmm. So, so you understand that the reason why this is so, so critical to grasp, I need to surrender every aspect of my life to my higher power because I've proven I ended up in an AA meeting because I've proven that running my own life is an absolute mm -hmm. disaster. Okay. Right. I've proven my powerlessness and my unmanageability. Therefore, I need to surrender to a higher power to have a hope to be able to change all that. Right. Right. And then, you know, the, the biggest cause of relapse is the negative emotions, the spinning thoughts, the committee in the head, you know, those sorts of things. And so that's why we have to surrender. Like Aaron was saying, we have to surrender all of it because for me, it's so psychological you know, the reasons that I drank were so based on trying to mm -hmm. sleep uh, because mm -hmm. I, I couldn't get any sleep, trying to manage panic attacks, trying to deal with my anger and rage, trying to deal with my fear of standing up to people. Like, I, I, I mean, it's funny because I was this big radio star, but I was afraid of everyone and everything. So I had this whole false front on the radio and I was so very much afraid. And so that's where it was like, God, I have to surrender all this, this stuff, all this fear and panic attacks and anger and, and performance anxiety. And because, because until I can, I can surrender that and, and work through that and get help for that. The cravings to drink aren't going to go away because that's how I managed it. That makes sense. Yep. And so that's where the psychological piece of it comes in. There was no way to just take the addiction away because the only reason that I was drinking was because of all of those, what I call codependency issues right. that were underneath yep. it. So of course, you know, basically what we're saying is the real cure is uncovering and working through all the psychological problems. I think the question people have when they ask if there's a cure, is there, is there really just wondering, is there a way that I can have my cake and eat it, it too? too? Is there a that's way that right. I can drink? Right. Yeah. And, yep. yeah. you know, again, it's different for everybody. Most people, I would say the answer is no. There's a few people that have been able to do it. But the, the I think the, for me, the question is, do you really want to go there? Right. Well, I don't want to go back. <laughs> so the um, so I, for those of you that that are people of faith that are watching this video, you may understand that we're actually talking about the concepts of confession and repentance right now, because that's also what underlies steps one through three. And even for those of you that aren't, you know, uh, people of faith, understand that the Alcoholics Anonymous, the original text of it was based off of books of the New Testament. 
And they took these concepts and tried to convert them into non-religious um, mm -hmm. things because we didn't want people's biases or preconceptions or, or personal experiences to get in the way because the goal of AA and the goal of any program, whether it's a faith-based one or not, is for people to obtain victory over their addiction, right? Yeah, and it was it was actually written out of the Oxford group, which was a men's group that met, like, I think they started meeting in the 20s, and it was Christian, which is why the 12 steps line up so well with the Bible, and there's all kinds of scriptures that tie into it. That's, I yep. mean, and that's why, that's why it, it, you can look at the 12 steps and they'll have all the, in the Christian 12 step meetings, they'll have all the scriptures that go along with the step. <laughs> you so know? I, want to, I want to lay a couple extra um, from our outline here that we're using, dear. There's a couple concepts to lay over as we go on to the quest for the cure. One other thing is the Bible is really clear about forsake not the gathering together with fellow believers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. In AA parlance, that's going to an AA meeting. Right. Because finding other people who've achieved victory and they might have they might have tips, they might have stories to tell that resonate with you and things of that nature. Yeah. They've done it before. Like you come and find an old drunk like me who's been doing it for 21 years. I might have a few things to say exactly. to somebody, you know, and I've worked with a lot of people in my day job, um, you know, who've, who've, you know, been struggling with and looking for help. So that, so don't, the, the importance of having a support group is it doesn't take the place of the work that you need to do. It doesn't take the place of the fact that you got to admit you have a problem or surrender and ask for help. But it gives you a vehicle to be able to do those things and have other people who can be right there with you guiding it to what it is you seek. Yeah, you know, and like they say, the, the shame and the fear and all those things live in the dark. It's it's right. Right. You know, you're only as sick as your secrets, right? right? And so being being around other people is how we heal. If we're trying to do it alone, it just doesn't work. We were wired for community. I mean, that's just how right. God created us. So if we think we if we want to try to do it alone, it just it just doesn't work. And it makes it easier for you, know, you. If you have a support group of like-minded people, it makes it easier. Listen to me very carefully. It makes it easier to acknowledge your mistakes. Okay. My life is unmanageable. Mm -hmm. I'm powerless over my booze. It's a lot easier to do that when you have a group of like-minded people you can trust somewhere you can land. And you can also basically talk about forgiveness. You can seek forgiveness. Like you have a good Bible study you go to. You have a good AA group you go to and stuff like that. Because oftentimes we have to forgive ourselves first before we can even seek out to try to start dealing with any of this other stuff. So I can't emphasize enough like the role of having other people in your life who are like-minded, which is why that survey you did basically showed that people want human interaction. Yeah. In, yeah, in their lives. And well, and it's you. so healing too, because, and I say this probably every show, is you can't tell what's wrong until you can see what's right. So if I'm a codependent mother and I'm not going to Alan, I don't have any supportive women. I'm going to keep enabling my kid because he's the only thing I have to lean on. I don't have a healthy support group, right? And so that's why it's so important. If I'm in a dysfunctional relationship, like a friend of mine who was being, you know, she was in an abusive relationship and she said, you know, I would go go to work and I would see how all these people, you know, they talk about Christmas or they'd have these normal lives. And I started to see how messed up my relationship with my husband was. And, and so realizing what was right helped her to see what was wrong. But when you're caught, and especially from a biblical 
perspective when you're sitting alone. I mean, if when you want to talk about the committee in the head, which I think is the enemy, is going to just whisper all these lies to you, cause all this negativity, and you're going to get into this this um, stinking thinking that's going to that's going to put you into this negative mindset that's going to draw you to relapse, right? And then all of a sudden you go to a meeting or you go to church and you get around other people and you leave and you 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 go, wow, my perspective was all wrong, you know, and that's where other people come in and can be so healing, you know? So you got it, right? Admit, I got a problem. Right. Ask for help. Find a group that can aid and abet the process of you being able to do all that stuff. And now we're going to walk into some of the stuff that walks right into Jody's expertise because she's got a master's degree in this stuff. And some of the things that she's learned in her training when she got her master's degree in addiction counseling come into this quest that people have for a cure. I'm so glad that you're following the outline. <laughs> I tried to make this outline and I'm like, I don't know, this is just not working. So I have a little unmanageability with the outline, but I'm here for you. Thank you. I know. I'm just like, I like to just go and go all over the place. And, and, you know, so we're trying to, we're trying to keep it on task so we can, you know, actually uh, answer the question. I did want to say one more thing too, about the surrender piece, right? Surrendering to God and others. So many of us that were, if there was trauma and addiction, we were invalidated. And that when we, right. when we needed that help from the caregiver, they weren't there right? Or they abused us or they said, stop feeling that way. So we came to this belief that help couldn't happen outside right. of ourselves. That like, I have to fix my life. I have to fix which my addiction. Right? I have to do AA, it all. Which is another reason why an AA group or a Bible study or a church yeah. can be so powerful because, you know, that can take the place of your family. Right. And it's, so it's the it trust the place piece. Of your relationship. It's saying, God, I, I trust you. This is scary but I'm going to give this to you and I'm going to learn to trust God and other people. And it's not perfect along the way, especially if your people picker's broken, you may trust some of the wrong people, but that's part of that surrender piece is allowing ourselves to give up the control and ask right. for the help and then begin to trust. Okay. God, well, here's the bottom line, you guys. Know? You're a lot better off in an AA meeting or a Bible study than you are without it. <laughs> that's, that's just the bottom line. <laughs> or with the dysfunctional situation you were in and then sometimes and then those people can give you the tools to go back into maybe that dysfunctional environment or family environment uh when you're ready and know how to know how to manage it because it can be very triggering and you need help to manage uh the addicted family system because it's rough so we've been <laughs> so we've basically been talking about the classic aa or the classic group therapy type of approach plus mm -hmm. some of the 12 steps because that's the most proven effective over the years method also you know seeking help from a counselor i mean i saw a counselor for the first two or three years yeah. that i was yeah you know we've seen a counselor at times you know in our marriage and stuff like that there's nothing wrong with that is that is effective Heck no a mix of methods um but you most recently when you got your master's degree mm -hmm. in, in this stuff you actually worked for a clinic that that was another one of the the treatment methods that people have been discussing a lot that a lot of people believe in Maybe we talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I know you don't believe in it. 
<laughs> He's like, nope. Uh, and, and I do, I do. It does work, but it's, it's, so it's MAT, MAT or medication assisted treatment. So that's going to be like methadone for opiate addiction. And then they have stuff that like my brothers use, like Anabuse and stuff that makes you sick when you drink and all that stuff. And the wonderful thing about that stuff is it, it works on the neurological piece. Okay. So I think we can all agree on that. So the question is, A, how do you use the methadone? Are you going to still get treatment for the psychological stuff, or are you just going to take the medication designed to reduce the cravings? So again, and, and in recovery and even in the methadone places, they do understand that you have to have this integrative treatment. If you're going to do medication, that's great. And it, and it works, you know, buprenorphine, there's all this stuff that, that works because it's a slow release, right? And then you can titrate off of the, uh, it doesn't work as well for alcohol, but it does work for opiates. You can titrate off. But again, if you're not working on the psychological stuff, so what they're trying to do is set up to where you are also getting um, therapy and recovery counseling. So you're getting a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, then you also have an addiction counselor in addition to your medication. Well, because of government funding and, and the fact that, you know, um, they don't pay much and stuff like that, and we're in this huge opiate crisis, they just don't you know, I think it's more of a staff problem. I don't think it's a, oh, we just want everybody to get on methadone. I don't, I, I didn't find that to be it at all. I really found there were a lot of caring people that, you know, but you have these big um, clinics that distribute medication and not enough therapists to deal with a problem. So right. you do end up with people just coming and getting the medication. Now the medication works, but this is, this is what I think I think when people are at the point in their addiction, when they need to be medicated, like my brother, they need to be in what's called inpatient treatment, right? So they need to be in. So, you know, because when you're assessing someone for an addiction, if they're in a place like where my brother was, he can't do, he couldn't do outpatient. So when I was at the opiate clinic, every single person I came into was like, needed to be in inpatient treatment and they were in outpatient treatment. And that's why they kept coming back and getting the methadone. Does that make sense? So, well, so I that's just, where the problem lies. I, just, I believe that, you know, replacing a drug with a drug doesn't <laughs> solve the problem. I mean, it's just really simple, but part, it so, can help with the problem. Here's but. the thing. Like so far we've, we've gone through like, you know, group therapy, individual therapy, spiritual therapy. Now we're talking about outpatient medical treatment and inpatient medical treatment. We've just covered five different ways that people seek, you know, help for their addiction. Now, in my mind's eye, this makes the thesis for why I don't believe there's a cure for addiction, why I believe there's only treatment for addiction, mm -hmm. because there's so many different ways to address this problem. You see, if there was a cure, it'd be like going in and getting a tetanus shot when you get an infection. Yeah. It, and it's not like that. And, and so I just wanted to kind of loop right back and just, you know, answer the question and what have you, because what Jody and I are discussing is that we have different experiences, different opinions, different, you know, things of that nature in terms of how we've done it in our own life and how we think other people can do it and so forth. But because there's still that, you know, that variety of experiences and that variety of approaches to it. There's not one answer. So I can truthfully say at this point, based on what we know so far, you really can't say there's a cure for addiction. 
there's just a variety of ways to treat it or or get after it. Yeah, and it's interesting, and I take a, a biblical stance on this because if there was a cure for sin, then there would be a cure for addiction. And there is a cure for sin, and that's the hope in Jesus Christ and and who says that all things will be made new. But he also says in this world, you have, you'll have trouble, take heart, I've overcome the world, we're going to have problems. And furthermore, in the Bible says that all of creation is groaning under sin. So, you know, the reason I believe in the disease model, the reason I believe in psychotherapy, and the reason I believe in Christianity all in, in one is because I see that sin is more than spiritual. It's neurological. It's physical. Like we were born and our brain is born messed up under the fall of sin. Our psychology is messed up. There's trauma. There's abuse, right? That When we talk about the Bible, it's the world, right? All those things I just mentioned. It's the flesh, and it's the devil. So it's all those things, right? And so so all of creation has fallen. And so until Jesus comes back, I would I would have to say no that there's no cure. There's no f- cure for addiction just like are we going to find a cure for, you know, school shootings? Are we going to find a cure for angry people? Are we going to find a cure for um, you know, all, all those things? I mean, you know, so it's just it's you know, we have to surrender it to the Lord. And, um, and then I think one of the biggest pieces I would say personally, if there ever was a cure, it would be finding, right. Drawing to the Lord and then finding meaning and purpose in life. And that's the member Victor Frankel, the concentration camp guy who literally the people that couldn't find meaning ended up dying. I mean, literally they ended up dying. And so I feel like the biggest part of recovery is to get people away from just the, the the world and the and the and the booze and the addiction and and the, all this and really looking at what were you made for who are you what's your identity in Christ and 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 giving back and and serving and finding that meaning and purpose in life and that's i think really what recovery is ultimately full circle we find in Christ, we find in AA working our steps, we find in therapy, we find in outpatient uh, rehabilitation, inpatient rehabilitation, yep. we find a new purpose, a new direction, we find an identity. And in our case, for Jody and I, an identity in Christ and what have mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. because this is the therapy. And in a true sense, it is the cure. But in the case of addiction, it is an ongoing process that requires maintenance it is not a one-time event in time it is a lifelong process so there's the paradoxical answer to is there a cure for addiction yes but not in the clinical one one one-time thing right use a use a medical treatment type of thing for it but it is a process cure it is a life change cure see i can tell you that today that what i used to try to find the bottom of bottom of a bottle of booze I actually find in my life, part of that sitting next to me, this (laughs) this wonderful woman I married to, the jobs I have, the stuff I have, but that's great. That's the outward manifestations of like inside. Yeah, I'm still nuts, but like it's channeled differently and it, and it's communicated differently. I had opportunities to help people. I get opportunities to make an impact in the world around me and stuff like that. My thinking is different. My thinking is more clear. Like I've, 
screwed so much stuff up that I have a little <laughs> bit of wisdom at this point in my life and what have you. Right. And so, you know, the older I get, the further along I get at this in this journey, like I'm at peace. Like those voices that used to yell in my head, you know, when I was drinking and even the first few years I was sober, they're gone. Mm-hmm. You know, the committee in my head, it's it's gone. It's not yeah. there anymore. And so what I think we're trying to tell you is that there is a variety of ways to get there. But the mm-hmm. ultimate goal is to find that purpose, meaning of life, yeah. the identity in Christ and what have you. And we believe, I know I believe that the A number one most effective way to arrest your addiction is to do whatever you can to find your identity in Christ and your yeah. purpose in Christ, because that can order everything else in your life that is in disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And it's, you know, like we always say, it's like peeling back the layers of the onion, uh, the sanctification process. You know, certainly there are people that are Sanctification? Yeah. Growing up? Growing up, yeah. I mean, yeah. But certainly there are people that, that stay sober who have found meaning and purpose in their life that, that aren't believers. But obviously looking at, at Christianity and, and God and, and how how he's just for me changed my life and restored it that i think is is such such a huge huge piece of it but yeah the, with the whole sanctification thing i mean it's it's we're never there we're never right. there until we're in heaven and so at at my age every day i still see different things right that that whole thing where it says you get a daily reprieve based on your your spiritual condition you know so in other words am i am I doing the things that I need to do to maintain that sobriety? And, you know, every year that passes, it's like something else is being peeled away where I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought I had worked through this. <laughs> That's 20, what I know, you know? 21 years later, I can tell you a certainty that this, if I can strain together 20 years of sobriety, that means anybody can, can get sober. Right. There is hope. If you're willing to say, hey, I got a problem, if you're willing to say, hey, I need help and really mean it and go and take advantage of the AA meetings that are out there, the Bible studies that are out there, the support groups that are out there, counseling, you know, find a, a, a clinic or something like that. There are all kinds of ways to do it, but you've got to understand that this is something that you have to seek after, mm-hmm. just like you used to chase a bag of dope, <laughs> just like you used to plan your life around going to the liquor store, that same aggressive nature and that same passion that you pursue getting wasted with you have to apply to putting your life back together and going through this and it says right at the beginning of every AA meeting if you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it then you're ready to take certain steps Mm, yeah I like that so I think in a nutshell there is no cure for addiction but there is a, a cure for the life that you're leading that you don't want to lead anymore. And that's where God, the program, getting, reaching out for help, finding your meaning and purpose, that's the cure. <laughs> and there is hope for you. Yes, absolutely. As long as you're still breathing, there is hope for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for watching. Uh, you know, I do recovery coaching, so feel free to reach out to me if you want to. My email is genuinelife at jodystevens.org. Uh, we'd love it if you'd leave a review on iTunes or, you know, whatever app you're listening through. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If this episode has helped you, feel free to pass it along to uh, anyone else who you think uh, could benefit. So uh, God bless you and thank you for being here. 
Thank you so much, friends, for listening to Genuine Life Recovery, playing on your favorite app or on my website at jodystevens.org. It's J-O-D-I-E-S-T-E-V-E-N-S, jodystevens.org. There you can check out my podcast, blog, recovery coaching info, speaking, and more. Check it out.